Good morning, dear brothers and sisters. Greetings to you all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to see you all this morning and to know that you're all doing well, both in health and in the Lord. Let's continue to pray that the Lord will protect us in the midst of this pandemic to the measure of his will. Let's dive right into God's word for this morning. Let me begin with an illustration. A theologian wrote of his experience when he visited a graveyard in his country. He said he began inspecting the gravestones, most of them about 150 years old. Most of the markers contained phrases like beloved mother, loving father, darling son, rest in peace, a sleeping Jesus, and so on. Eventually, he came to the grave of a certain man. Under his name, there was his date of birth, his date of death, and then a five-word statement that summed up his entire life. That said, a man of unquestioned integrity. A man of unquestioned integrity. Just five words, nothing more and nothing less. Suppose it were your tombstone or my tombstone. What five words would our friends choose to put on it? Now hold the thought at the back of your minds while I move to another illustration before we get into God's word that's on hand for us. Have you heard about John Bingham? He's an American marathon runner and author who motivates people to successfully run marathons. What is his secret? He says, as I stand at the starting line, I know that somewhere out there, there's a finish line. Did you hear that? As I uh, stand at the starting line, I know that somewhere out there, there's a finish line. That's a good principle to keep in mind. Out there somewhere is a finish line for all of us. Most of us probably think the finish line is a few years away, maybe 10 years away or 20 years away, or even 30 years away, or maybe 50 years away for some of us. But honestly, none of us knows what to expect. All we know is, the finish line of life is out there somewhere. And it may come sooner for some of us than we expect. But whether sooner or later, it is bound to come. Because the Bible says, it is appointed unto man to die once. I have an appointment with death, and so do you. I don't know when or where or how, but the Lord knows. That's one appointment we won't miss and we can't postpone. So this should raise some important questions in our minds. How do I want to be remembered after I die? Or how do I need to live to finish my Christian life well? How do I need to live to finish my Christian life well? Here is Paul's answer to that question. Writing from a Roman jail with the certain knowledge that he would soon be dead, he looked back at his journey with Christ, and then he looked forward to what would happen after he died, and then he wrote down his own epitaph. There was a man by the name of Howard Hendricks who taught hermeneutics, or how to interpret the Bible, in Dallas Theological Seminary for about half a century. He is now with the Lord. He did an exhaustive study of the men and women of the Bible, and then he said, there are approximately 100 detailed biographies in the Bible. 100 detailed biographies in the Bible. 
and he noted that approximately two-thirds of those drifted away from the faith or they ended their life in a backslidden condition. The Apostle Paul was not one of them. He finished his race well. You know, once when John Wesley was asked this question about the spiritual strength of the early Methodists, he replied, our people die well. Our people die well. But in order to die well, one needs to finish well. And our text for this morning tells us how that happens. It's not just how you start that's important, but how you finish. We've heard this several times in our lives. It's not just how you start that is important, but how you finish. So today's passage will reveal to us three things about how you and I need to live to finish our Christian lives well. Three things about how you and I need to live to finish our Christian lives well. And Paul discussed these three things in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. I'll pause for about 20 seconds for you to turn there, and then I will read the text for you. I hope you've turned there by now, so I'm going to read from verse 6. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So we'll go to the first point. In verse 6, you will see that you must live your life as a sacrifice in service of the Lord. You must live your life as a sacrifice in service of the Lord. You and I must live our lives as an offering to the Lord. Paul lived his life as a sacrifice in the service of the Lord. And he has two things to say about it, and let's look at it one by one. First, Paul had a wholehearted commitment to Christ. Paul had a wholehearted commitment to Christ. Look at the first part of verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. If you notice, in verses 1 through 5, Paul had spoken in the second person. But all of a sudden, in verse 6, he switches from second person to first person. You to I. Now, Paul had used this pattern throughout the letter, you and I, you and I, to give advice to his co-worker and bind him closely to himself. He just gave Timothy a final admonition for his ministry in chapter 4 and verse 5. He said, as for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Timothy was given a charge to preach the word even in the face of opposition. And Paul's departure requires Timothy to step into the gap. And the fact that the time of Paul's departure is near adds to the urgency of the commission that Paul gave Timothy. 
So Paul is laying out his entire life as a template for Timothy to follow. He is describing what's going to happen to him in some strong theological terms, and we must understand it. But what event did Paul have in mind, and how does he conceptualize it? Both parts of the sentence allude to Paul's death. Look at what he said. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Already denotes an act that is happening now or in process and therefore inevitable. Paul did not view his execution as a cruel tragedy or as an unfair treatment of a sacrificial life or of his many years of dedicated service. Rather, he saw it as a culminating offering of a sacrificial life. You know, if you remember, the law mandated that when a worshipper brought an offering, part of it was consumed upon the altar and the other part of it was given to the priest for his own use. When the offering was consumed by fire, the worshipper would sometimes pour a drink offering of wine upon the burning sacrifice. All the wine was to be poured out, poured out. None of it was to be given to the priest. And as the wine hit the burning coals, it evaporated and a sweet smell rose from the altar. Now keep in mind that wine was a symbol of joy in the Old Testament. And the drink offering was a symbolic way of saying, I gladly give all that I have to the Lord. This sacrifice that I offer is given as a symbol of my wholehearted commitment to, to God. Nothing is held back. All that I have, I gladly give to my God. Paul knew that his death was close at hand. He was on death row in Rome and he would never be set free. Now, by speaking of his death as a drink offering, he was saying to Timothy, when you hear of my death, don't think that Nero has executed me against my will. I gladly lay down my life for my Lord. Nero may take my life, but I gladly offer it to Christ. My own blood will be like the wine of the drink offering. Gladly given to the one who loved me and gave himself for me. So it was Paul's way of saying, don't weep for me, Timothy. Know this, when I die, I will die smiling. When I die, I will die smiling. Paul had already given everything to Jesus. The only thing left to give was his life. And that he was gladly giving right now. So Paul had a wholehearted commitment to Christ. Second thing, Paul saw, saw death as a departure to be with Christ. Paul saw death as a departure to be with Christ. In the second part of verse 6, and the time of my departure has come. The process that has begun is going to come to an end soon. The end is imminent. The word departure has three word pictures behind it. Now listen to me very carefully, please. It refers to a ship hoisting the anchor, raising the sails and leaving the harbor and setting sail for a distant port. It also refers to an army that has made camp near a battlefield. To depart means to break camp, leave the battlefield and go back home. It also pictures a man who's been carrying a staggering burden all his life. And now the call comes, my friend, lay your burden down. It's time to come home. So for Paul, death was like setting sail 
or breaking camp or laying down his heavy burden and finally going home to be with the Lord. Was Paul afraid to die? Not at all. He had no regrets in life. Since he had no regrets, he viewed his death as simply going home to be with the Lord. Paul saw his death as a departure to be with Christ. As an application, dear brothers and sisters, I want to ask you a question as I ask myself the same question. Is your life a life of sacrificial service to the Lord? Is my life a life of sacrificial service to the Lord? What kind of a death will you and I have? Or what kind of a departure will you and I have when the time comes? Will you and I have that same confidence about our death that Paul had? You can face death and I can face death with that buoyant faith if you and I will do what Paul did, which is offer our lives as a living sacrifice to the Lord without holding anything back. So to finish well, you need to view all of your life and I need to view all of my life as an act of sacrificial worship to God. As Paul put it well in Romans 12:1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, is what Paul said. You don't serve Christ in order to get praise and acclaim from others. You serve Christ as an act of worship toward him. If others turn away from you or badmouth you, which is what happened to Paul in his life, or if your earthly reward for a lifetime of dedicated service is to get your head cut off at the end, it's okay. I think it's okay for me too. Because all of your life has been an offering to God. And all of my life has to be an offering to God as well. This also means to finish well, you and I view our lives as expendable in God's service. Here is a great apostle to the Gentiles, the man who did more for the spread of the gospel than any other man in church history. His influence was incalculable. Yet, he could finish well because he saw himself as expendable, a drink offering. So in language similar to our text, Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. If you and I have inflated notions about our own importance, we will not finish well. All of us should view ourselves and all of our service as a sacrificial offering to God. So I ask you this question once again before I move on. Is your life a life of sacrificial service to the Lord? So in verse 6, we saw that you must live your life as a sacrifice in service of the Lord. Then there's a second thing that you and I must do to finish our Christian lives well. And that is in verse 7. It says, you must be faithful and have a wholehearted commitment to the Lord. You must be faithful and have a wholehearted commitment to the Lord. We must live in such a way that we'll be able to look back at the end of our lives and say confidently that we have done well. Paul was steadfast 
and loyal to the Lord and his word. And he explains this by talking about three things. Let's look at them one by one. First, Paul faced continual struggle in his life. Look at this uh, first part of verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. Now this speaks to the continual struggle that he faced. Think of the words Paul used to describe his own life. Trouble, distress, tribulation, trials, hardships. In 2 Corinthians 6, 4-5, he described the normal Christian life as including these elements. You know, he said, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in affliction, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, sleepless nights, hunger. In other passages, he also spoke of the spiritual opposition of dark forces that he faced. He talked about Satan, the forces of darkness, the indwelling power of sin, and the spiritual darkness of paganism. Whatever else you and I can say about the life of the Apostle Paul, we cannot say that he had an easy life. He never stopped fighting for Jesus until the day he died. Now at last, his struggle is over. Soon his commander-in-chief will grant him an honorable discharge from the battles of life. By God's grace, he had fought well, and for him, the battle would soon be over. Second thing, Paul endured till the end. Look at the second part of verse 7. I have finished the race. Paul here is referring to a long race, a marathon. He is saying, I have not dropped out of the race. Paul means that he followed the course the Lord Jesus Christ set out for him the day he saved him on the road to Damascus. Ever since that day, he'd been following the Lord, doing whatever the Lord had for him to do, whether in good times or bad times whether in happy times or in the midst of suffering and pain. Paul walked in the way the Lord wanted him to walk. Now, the journey was almost over. He could look back and say, it wasn't easy. It was often hard. And sometimes I wondered if I would even make it. But now I can see that the Lord Jesus Christ has led me all the way. He has reached the finish line at last. Now, no matter what happened to Paul, he just kept moving forward by the grace of God. One foot in front of the other, one step at a time, one day at a time. He wasn't deterred by opposition because knew, because he knew it would eventually come. Our problem is that we are surprised by trouble. We think the Christian life ought to be easy. It's not easy. And it's not supposed to be easy. Today is a day of struggle, it's a day of combat, it's a day of warfare. And today we march right into the battlefield in the name of the Lord. And the day of rest will only come later. Third thing, Paul guarded the truth of the gospel. Look at the third part of verse 7. I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. Several times in these letters to Timothy, Paul has talked about the deposit that Timothy is to guard. He was referring to the truth of the gospel, the core doctrines of the Christian faith. So when Paul says that he has kept the faith, he means that he has carefully guarded the truth about Jesus Christ that God had entrusted to him. 
he had not bought into many of the errors that were prevalent in his day. His life and his teaching had held to sound doctrine. He refused to compromise the truth. And when other people fell away, Paul still preached the word. When the world was against him, Paul paid no attention. When it would have been easy for him to crop his message to save his own life, Paul proclaimed the whole counsel of God. He did not back down. He did not compromise. He would not preach what people wanted to hear. He kept the faith. He kept the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Because Paul knew that nothing could touch him that did not come from the hand of God, he never gave into discouragement. He truly believed that everything that happened to him was for his good and for God's glory. Therefore, he kept going on and on for God to the very end. And even the chains of a Roman jail could not destroy his faith or shatter his confidence in God. Paul never stopped fighting. Paul never stopped running. And Paul never stopped believing. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Once again, as I ask myself this question, how faithful are you to the Lord and his word? How faithful am I to the Lord and his word? We all know people who began the Christian life with a flourish of activity and enthusiasm. Maybe they even went into full-time ministry. But when trials and disappointments hit, they dropped out. And sometimes we need to take a break from serving to be refreshed, to be renewed in our spirits and in our bodies both. But then we need to get back into the race. Of course, we should never take a break from walking with the Lord. That's a different thing. You know, when I was in school, uh, I've run a few marathons a few times. So I know that there is no such thing as an easy marathon. We need to get it out of our heads that the Christian life is all glory and effortless bliss. There is joy, yes, but there are also many trials that require endurance. So make up your mind this morning to hang in with the Lord through those tough times so that you can look back at the end of your life and say with Paul, I have finished the course. I have finished the course. How faithful are you and I to the Lord and his word? So we saw two things so far about how to finish our Christian lives well. Firstly, we saw you must live your life as a sacrifice in service of the Lord. Second thing, you must be faithful and have a wholehearted commitment to the Lord. Then there's a third thing that you and I must do to live our Christian lives well and finish our Christian lives well. And that is in verse 8. It says, you must live your life in view of the prize the Lord will award. You and I must live our lives in view of the prize that the Lord will award. Live your life keeping in mind that one day you must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul looked forward to a day of vindication by the Lord himself. And he says two things about it. And let's look at them one by one. First, Paul was certain of a glorious and personal reward. Look at the first part of verse 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. In the ancient Olympic Games, a winning athlete was rewarded with the coveted laurel wreath. With this, the victor was crowned. 
To wear such a crown was the greatest honor that could come to any athlete. But this crown in a few, in a few days would wither. Paul knew that there was laid up for him a crown which would never fade away. And this crown of righteousness is God's reward to those who are faithful and obedient to his son. Now, it is difficult to interpret what Paul means by the crown of righteousness. Is this a special reward given only to those believers who've especially lived righteous lives, but not to all? Or is it the reward of eternal righteousness given to all believers who have, uh, who have all been justified by faith? We can't say for sure. There are good arguments on both sides. But what's important to note here is that Paul's faith is shining so brightly that the darkness of the Roman prison cell seems to disappear because he always thought about the prize that was ahead of him. By faith, he sees beyond his execution. The pain of that moment is now past and the suffering of this life is left far behind. By faith, he sees that day that he talks about when he will receive a reward from the Lord himself. What will that reward be like? It will be a guaranteed reward, says Paul. Notice the words. It is laid up. It is stored up in heaven for Paul. It is a glorious reward. It is the crown of righteousness. And also, it will be a personal reward. Paul will receive his reward from the Lord himself. Note how specific he is about this. It is the Lord, the righteous judge, who will reward him. In just a few days, Nero, the unrighteous earthly ruler, will have him beheaded. But in that day, the Lord himself will reverse Nero's earthly judgment. The chief justice of the Supreme Court of the universe will weigh in on Paul's case and his judgment will be final. And it will be a personal reward. Paul won't get his crown from a committee. He will receive it directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. It will also be a future reward, and that's why Paul used the word that day. This is the third time that Paul used the, uh, the phrase that day in this letter. Clearly, he lived in view of that day when he would stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Secondly and lastly, Paul was certain of a reward for believers. Look at the second part of verse 8. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved is appearing. It is not just for Paul, but also for everyone who loves the Lord and longs for his appearing. This is a very, very promising thought. It must bring joy to our hearts as we hear this this morning. This is what is ahead for you and for me if we will faithfully serve the Lord Jesus Christ in this life. So be encouraged, dear brother. Be encouraged, dear sister, this morning. The Lord is not so unjust as to forget your suffering for him or my suffering for him. He sees all that we are going through. He knows all about your struggles. He sees how hard the fight is and how sometimes you are tempted to quit and how you keep on going when others around you throw in the towel. He sees and he knows and in that day, the Lord himself will reward us if we are faithful to follow him now. So the word of the Lord for this morning is this, keep fighting, keep running, keep believing. And like I say, usually the best of all is yet to come for us. It won't be long now. And just a little while, 
and the Lord himself will return and all our struggles will be over. This battle won't last forever. This long road will soon come to an end and the world full of dangers, dangers, toils and snares, as a songwriter put it, won't last much longer. By the grace of God, let's finish strong for Jesus. That should be our hope and that should be our confidence. So let me ask you a final question for this morning as I ask myself once again this question. Do you live in light of the judgment seat of Christ? Do I live in light of the judgment seat of Christ? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament comes to mind. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is oftentimes a very frightening and misunderstood concept to many people. The Apostle Paul speaks of a judgment seat and that always strikes terror to our hearts. Let me make three simple observations here from the text. It's straightforward and you will see that. Number one, all Christians will stand before Christ as judge. Notice the verse was, uh, once again. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is not for unbelievers and not for some of us only, but for all of us. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ as believers. Number two, our judge will be Christ. Notice the verse once again, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So Christ will be our judge. Thirdly, when we stand before Christ as judge, we will be judged according to our deeds in this life. Look at the verse, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for deeds done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or or bad. In other words, the way you live right now is not unimportant. Judgment seat here translates bima, which in its simplest definition describes a place uh, reached by steps or a platform. In Greek culture, bima referred to the elevated platform on which uh, the victorious athletes receive their crowns, much like the medal stand in the modern day Olympic Games. So when believers stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be recompensed for the deeds they have done in the body. Things done in the body do have potential eternal value. So do you live in light of the judgment seat of Christ? So dear brothers and sisters, what's the point of this morning's passage? The whole passage basically says, you must live a life of sacrifice and loyalty to the Lord always looking forward to the reward that's awaiting you. Hold on to your faith, child of God. Hold on to your faith, dear brother and sister. Keep believing. Stay strong. Put on the whole armor of God. Hold on to your faith and never give up. There's a finish line out there somewhere and it's closer than you and I may realize. Let me finish with an illustration here. I read of a journalist who was in charge of the obituaries uh, one day when he didn't have any deaths to record he put a, sh a sheet of blank paper in his typewriter and wrote his own name at the top and then he found himself writing his own obituary uh, i have been a good husband he said uh, a fine father i have contributed to a number of worthy causes 
and uh, I left a reputation of absolute integrity. My friends are many, on and on and on. And by the time he finished the page, he had already committed himself to the task of living up to what he had written as his own obituary. Stay strong. Keep believing. Keep fighting. Keep fighting till the end. Thank you for your patience and may the Lord bless us all as we continue in this race until we finish at some point in our future. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for this time. We want to thank you for your word that spoke to us this morning from the writings of the Apostle Paul about how to finish the Christian race well. We all have a race ahead of us, O Lord. We've been running it for a while. And we pray, O Lord, that you would give the strength and the enablement for us to finish the race well. And we know that the finish line is somewhere out there. We don't know when it is, but we do know that it will come for sure. And we can't postpone it. We can't delay it because it all depends on your sovereignty when you've decided to take us home. But until that day, O Lord, help us to run the race well, keeping in mind that the Christian faith is a struggle. We must fight well. We must be in this battle well, protecting ourselves, using the armor of God, the full armor of God, in fact, and keeping ourselves accountable to you and to one another, and always keeping our eyes on the prize that awaits us, which the Lord Jesus Christ will give to Paul and to all of us who love disappearing on that day. We want to thank you for this time once again. Bless each one of us and help us in our journey of faith. In Jesus' name, Amen.